The following program was pre-recorded. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists and community builders weeknights at 6. I'm Laura Jones, and tonight we have a special community guest host back with us for a special Everyday People edition of the show, Sue Robbins. How are you, Sue? I'm doing good. That didn't take very long, did it? I know, right? I told you, we, you know, once we have you, we never let go. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the snares. Um, but I got a hold of you on your way out of town last week with this huge landmark Supreme Court ruling out of the Utah Supreme Court that affirms, confirms the right of transgender individuals to change their gender markers on their birth certificate, something we've been waiting for a while, Sue. Yeah, it's been a long road for two of the guests today. And uh, at the most of everything that comes out of this, I'm happy for them that they not only have a resolution, but a very positive one to look forward to. So those folks you're referring to are the plaintiffs, Angie Rice and Sean Childers Gray. We'll be having them on the show later this hour, along with their legal counsel, Chris Wharton, and Candace Metzler, Executive Director of Transgender Education Advocates, T of Utah. We're going to be talking about this landmark legal ruling. And does it mean we let rest on our laurels, Sue? Or, you know, because this is done now. Discrimination is over, right? No. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like when we had marriage <laughs> equality. I got to be part of a press conference and I was the ninth speaker. And nine pe- or eight people are going, this is great. We're done. We're done. And I sat there at the end and goes, that's one thing. We have a whole lot more to deal with. Yeah. So be ready, everybody. Yeah. So I think I was kind of like the uh, putting a snuff on everybody's fun at the time. But it's really true. There's so much more to do. But this is great for this moment. In fact, I have a couple of clips I'm going to put in here from the press conference last Thursday out front of the Scott Matheson Courthouse here in Utah. And uh, that's where... A bunch of folks gathered, and I do apologize for the sound. It's on busy state streets. So you're going to hear the cars going by, but you're also going to hear the joy, the relief, but also the work ahead from the speakers that we're going to share here in a bit of an audio collage from that press conference. First up is uh, you're going to hear from uh, you're going to hear from Troy Williams of Equality Utah. You're going to hear from Sean Childers Gray, one of the plaintiffs. But first up is co-plaintiff Angie Rice. If people don't see it, this is the big domino that's going to fall to bring public accommodations to people, education, sports, bathrooms, all those things that people fear monger about, healthcare, prison, everything that you can think of. Um, today is just the bright, shining moment um, for equality, just like, just like Utah led with marriage equality years ago. Thank you all for being here, I love you all. So, Angie and I have held each other up the last 17,600 plus days, 1,700 plus days. Oh my gosh. I looked last night because I didn't get any sleep. 1,700 plus days ago. I'm the crier. Sorry, guys. Um, I didn't think this fight was so big. And I had a moment that it was just about me, that it was me being denied. But the day came when we had the opportunity to fight for all transgender people here in Utah. I've not been alone. 
I have a wonderful spouse who stood behind me. And as you can see, an amazing team that stood behind us here. I haven't even met half of the people that have worked on this case. And I applaud them for their dedicated work in making dignity number one priority for transgender people here in Utah. Transgender people are Utah value people. You hear that a lot, right? Utah values and we belong. This is for parents who are not sure what to do next. You affirm your child, no matter what age they are. Yes. You affirm your child. Yes. Yes. There is light out of dark. You are not alone. And for my transgender brothers and sisters here in Utah, and guess what? This is gonna help throughout the country. You are not alone. I stand with you and I love you all. Thank you so much for everyone who's been here for us. It's a fight that has come to a, a, an apex, but it's a fight that's not over. So even back then, when we said what happens, we continue fighting. So this isn't over for us. This is a victory along a journey that we all take together. So to the next mountain, let's make it a molehill. Yes. Thank you so much. And this is a landmark victory for transgender Utahns and the LGBTQ community. This is what equality under the law looks like, and it works. So I wanna give a big shout out, Chris, Kyler, and Beth, your legal team is stellar, and it is so exciting that we have such strong, powerful champions for our community, thank you. And to Sean and Angie, you are our heroes. You have changed Utah for the next generation of transgender kids. You've changed the state forever because of your courage, and, and we so thank you. Um, you all know the trans community, and particularly trans youth, have been under siege in this country. This year, over 30 states introduced bills to restrict the rights and liberties of transgender youth. But Utah chose another path. The Utah legislature, the conservative Utah legislature, rejected bills to restrict the rights and liberties of transgender youth. And today, the Utah Supreme Court affirmed to every transgender Utah, this is your state, this is your home, you belong, we see you, we honor you, we love you. So to every transgender person who feels frustrated and is scared and angry, Utah is your home, you belong here. We are here for you, we are fighting for you, we love you. Thank you all so much. We'll take any questions that you have. So that's Troy Williams of Equality Utah, plaintiff Sean Childers Gray, and co-plaintiff Angie Rice. Just a few of the moments that I wanted to share with everybody from the press conference last week on this landmark Supreme Court ruling. Stick around. We'll be talking uh, in the back half of the show with a whole bunch of folks about what this means, what folks went through, and where we go 
next and turning that next mountain into a molehill, as I believe Sean said in the press conference. But uh, we have some special guests on some events coming up, rallies and resources you can find at krcl.org under the Community Affairs tab. And Susie Felchmalo Ifoho of the Pacific Island Business Alliance is with us today to talk about a living color vaccine clinic and healthcare coming up this Saturday. Hi, Susie. How are you? Oh, great. Thank you so much for having us today. This Saturday, May 15th, from 10 to 2, we hope that if you've not gotten your vaccine, the people will attend um, at the Redwood Recreation Center, which is 3060 Leicester Street in West Valley. Um, a vaccine clinic, but also a health fair that um, all of Living Color Utah, which is made up of our ethnic chambers of commerces and business organizations from um, our communities. And we're just really excited. And if you attend, you will get, IC is giving out $5 grocery gift cards, plus lots of other resources and fun things for the family. I do see in the flyer that you would like people to pre-register uh, uh, by texting 801-839-5192. But is that, is that necessary? Do, are you taking walk-ups? We'll, we'll take up walk-ups as well. We've got 200 vaccines. Okay. And so we really want to make sure that people have, it makes your process easier, but we will always take walk-ins when you get there. All right. And then but we're going to have free exercise classes from different um, community exercise groups from 10 to 2. So we hope people come out and do exercise classes and get resources. The wellness bus will be on the, on site as well doing health screenings. So even if you haven't had your, we want people to come out whether you've had a shot or had your shot. We hope it's a fun event. And Living Color Utah, tell me a bit about that organization as the Pacific Island Business Alliance. You're part of a larger organization and partnerships too. Yes, we formed Living Color Utah with the need of the ethnic business groups to collaborate. We just felt like we were stronger together. So this started out with the Black Chamber, the Pacific Island Business Alliance, the LGBTQ Chamber of Commerce, um, Swazo Center, uh, the Asian Chamber of Commerce. And our newest, we're so excited to have um, the Muslim Center. Oh, the Utah us. Muslim Civic League. Yes, yes. That's a that's a big yeah. That's our newest. We're so excited. That's a really big partnership. Congratulations on that. And I'm seeing that also at the health fair, you'll have mental and emotional health care organizations there because May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and you'll have some mental and emotional health screenings for folks to kind of get a handle on what's going on, perhaps. That's very true. When we've got COVID involved, there's been a lot of stress and um, mental health needs. So yes, we invite everybody to come out. I believe that it's now 16 and above. Yes. And we're hoping that um, everyone that wants to have a vaccine will find it convenient and come out. It, we hope the weather is beautiful. It's going to be outdoors with exercise um, opportunities. Now that fitness places are open and in full swing, um, it should be, we have yoga, Zumba, uh, hip hop step, and lots of other really fun things, plus all of the resources and almost every one of them are giving things away. Um, so, uh, there are lots of fun things that will happen on Saturday. We hope you'll join us. Susie Felchmalo Ifoho, thank you so much. We'll put it in the show notes and on rallies and resources.
Thank you always for letting us share. One other call to action in our community that needs your support, blood donations. And we have from the American Red Cross Utah, Jennifer Sparks. Hi, Jennifer. Hi there. Thanks so much for having us today. Absolutely. So uh, there's a really slick app to download so you can stay in touch with the needs in our community. And that's what we need to talk about right now is the need for blood donations in our community. Jennifer, what's going on? What is the need and what's driving it? Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you so much for helping us talk about this because the need for blood is constant, right? So in addition to it being Mental Health Awareness Month, it's also Trauma uh, Awareness Month. So for people who maybe have been in a car accident, people who've maybe suffered some some sort of really serious injury and lost a huge amount of blood, one of the most efficacious treatments is going to be blood transfusions, right? If you've lost a lot of blood, you need a lot of blood. And that's where the American Red Cross comes in to really help make sure that that uh, blood supply is stable and there's blood on the shelves when we need it the most. So if you've had a pregnancy loss, for example, maybe you are a cancer survivor, chances are high that you probably had a blood transfusion at some point. And that life-saving transfusion can't happen without somebody making a donation. And that's where we can come in. Um, If you're healthy, if you're feeling good, um, even if you've had COVID, even if you've had the shot, you are still eligible to come in and donate blood. Um, Every, you know, few months, you can come in, we'll test and make sure if you will check and see if you've had COVID, if you have those um, antibodies, we can actually use that as convalescent plasma treatment for people who are very, very ill with COVID. But we need people to come out, we can't magic up this blood supply ourselves, we really do need people to come out, um, roll up their sleeves and make that life saving uh, donation. Yeah, COVID has been hard on the, the nation's blood supply. And people are staying home, not going out, the fear of going anywhere, frankly. And that's had a huge depressing fact uh, impact on what you guys are able to do. You know, actually, it's been astonishing how giving people have been throughout the pandemic, really, especially as we were getting our convalescent plasma program up and running, people were so, so generous. Um, And that was wonderful to help really keep that blood supply stable because, you know, even though COVID was happening, emergencies were also happening. So that that need was still ongoing. Um, But now that elective surgeries are back on the rise again, now that people are out and about again a little bit more. We have, you know, maybe a few more car accidents happening just because people are back out on the road. So we are seeing that need really kind of continuing on um, in terms of the blood the blood demand. Um, but as people are, you know, maybe trying to get out and about for summer vacation a little bit as things are reopening, maybe they're not thinking about donating blood quite so much anymore. Um, but we need them to. So that's where we need to really make sure that the supply and demand are matched up. So we really encourage people through the summer months. I know it's nice outside. I know that everyone is sick to death of being cooped up inside and really wants to just be out and about. But we really, really encourage you to just take a few minutes, roll up your sleeve and save a life. Well, and there are dozens of blood drive events happening. And one of the handiest ways I've found to stay on top of it is to download the app. Tell folks where they can get the app and what's it, what it's called. 
the app is amazing. We just call it the blood app. So if you have um, an Android or if you have an iPhone, just go into that app store and type in Red Cross Blood. You'll get that app um, that just pops up and you're absolutely right. It's a great way to keep on top of what blood drives are happening near you. Um, so you can find one that's really, really convenient and, and close to your home or your place of work. Um, you can schedule in your appointment, which we require. Um, we, you cannot unfortunately do a walk-in at this point because of the COVID precautions that we are still very much keeping in place for everybody's health and safety. Um, you can go ahead and make that appointment and fill out your paperwork in advance. It's called a rapid pass. That way you just bop up to the appointment at, the, uh, at your time. You show your rapid pass and it gets you in and out much, much quicker. So we really encourage everybody to download that app up front. All right. Now, if you don't have the app and you don't have the internet, you can still do it the old-fashioned way and call. You absolutely can. 1-800-RED-CROSS. We're going to keep it really simple for you. We'll help walk you through the entire process, make sure you have that appointment, um, and that way you are ready to go. If you don't necessarily want the app downloaded, but you do have internet access, redcrossblood.org. You can get all of that same information, make that appointment, um, and get your paperwork sorted out in advance. Thanks, Jen. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And that's Jennifer Sparks, Red Cross Utah. We'll put the links in the show notes and also rallies and resources at krcl.org. Well, Sue Robbins, you know what time it is. It's time for the old theme song back when you were hosting every Monday night with me. Um, I miss you so much, and I'm glad that we can still call you up and celebrate things like this and get the word out, Sue. Well, some things are very important, and I'm very glad to see this and very glad to be able to bring this information out to everybody because people may not understand the impact of what has happened and what everybody has gone through. So I think this is a great panel to have for the show, and I'm glad I could be a part of it. In fact, I, your comments that I uh, shared last week on the show, it it it, it it's a domino, and I think Angie used the domino phrase in her comments earlier that we shared, uh, in terms of all the paperwork in your life, Sue. Right. Once you start with this, everything else just starts to come into place. So it's very important, and we could talk about that more in detail as we go forward in the panel. In the meantime, a little sly in the family stone, some everyday people on... An Everyday People special edition of Radioactive. Oh, thank you, Sue. Support for Radioactive comes from Mark Miller Subaru and their Love's Diversity Initiative, supporting a more just world where everyone is celebrated as equals. More information about the Love's Diversity Initiative and Subaru products at markmillersubaru.com. Support for KRCL comes from the Ute Land Trust, whose mission is to help heal people, community, and the world around us. More information at utelandtrust.org. Welcome back to Radioactive on KRCL 90.9. I'm Laura Jones. And coming up at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now!, followed by Red, White, and Blues with Brian Kelman at 8, Night Train with Michelle Tanner at 10.30, and you get your brand new day with John Florence every weekday morning at 6 a.m. All of our programming in the Radioactive Archives may be found online at krcl.org. 
Joining me tonight in a special Everyday People edition of Radioactive, we have Sue Robbins back. She wrapped up two years of hosting Monday nights with me uh, a couple of weeks back, but a special occasion brings her back as more than a, a, a guest host, really a, a guide and a friend of the show. Sue, thank you so much for being here to talk about this landmark Utah Supreme Court ruling. Thank you for always having me back. It's uh, it's good to be able to come back and to be able to help shed a light on what this means to our community and to the individuals involved, especially. So last Thursday, I believe it was, after three and a half years, the Utah Supreme Court ruled in Gray and Rice, um, 2021 UT13, the technical name of the case, and confirmed the right of transgender Utahns to change the name and gender marker on their birth certificates. And for folks whom that does not affect, they may not know that this is not uniform across uh, the state. You've successfully changed everything on your birth certificate, but other folks haven't. And I'm guessing... You've heard that a lot as an advocate across the across the state, Sue. Yes, it's it's been a concern throughout the community, both for community members and parents of young transgender kids, knowing that there's a possibility that they could face a denial, like our guests have tonight. And it is stressful. It's a it's a core of who we are. It is a very affirming action of who we are. So to sit there and have it as a maybe in any kind of instance is not acceptable for the way we need to have our policies and our laws in place for transgender Utahns. As Equality Utah said in its press release last week, this is a landmark ruling that allows transgender Utahns to fully integrate as equal members of society. And joining us on the program to talk more about it, we have with us the plaintiffs in this case, Angie Rice. Hi, Angie. Hey, how are you? Doing well. And Sean Childers Gray. Hi, Sean. Hello. Good after. Well, good evening, really. Candace Metzler is here, Executive Director of T of Utah, Transgender Education Advocates of Utah. Thanks, Candace, for being here. Thanks for inviting me, Laura. This is great to be here. You're welcome. And later, Chris Wharton, legal counsel in this case, will join our Zoom conversation. But first, I'd like to reintroduce you to our listeners, Sean and Angie. So Angie, tell us a bit about your background and what brought you to this case. If I do just a real quick, you know, snapshot of, of, of my child and all the way through, um, you know, I, I, I knew that something was different and confusing inside me, you know, back when I was eight years old. Um, I grew up in Vermont super ultra conservative, you know, back in the, the 60s and 70s, you know, for heaven's sakes, um, I don't even think that that people even knew what the word transgender was. Um, and so I kept that secret, you know, very, very incredibly tight and sealed deep inside me. Um, and I and I carried that through my, you know, through my entire life. Um, I excelled in all sports and um, academics, you know, I didn't, I didn't want people wondering if there was something, you know, wrong with me inside. Um, and so I, I tried to deflect that. Um, I went on to the United States Air Force Academy, um, graduated from there in 1984, um, and went on to be a pilot in the, uh, in the United States Air Force for 20 years. Um, I flew rescue helicopters for my first five years, and I flew um, KC-135s, uh, four different models, um, for the last 15 years in special operations and combat support. Um, I flew uh, support for uh, Desert Storm and Somalia and Bosnia. Um, and the greatest fear that I ever had, even going through all of that, was for people to discover who I was inside myself. Wow. Um, None of the other stuff was, no, no, was, was an issue. It was that. 
no bad people in my in my experience not to make light of it but bad people who shot at you when you were in the air um, that was a much safer experience um, than the fear of of losing your livelihood um, and 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 people understanding or seeing the guilt and the shame that lived inside you all of which was wrong and of course we all know that now um, but that fear that fear was always so much greater when I retired from the Air Force in 2004, um, I self-medicated with hormones for, you know, six or seven years before going under a doctor's care. Um, and when you say and, self-medicated and, with hormones, did you mean with testosterone to try to, to, to not be who you were? Are you saying that no, was no, when you I, started to make your transition? Um, that was when I started to try to cope with who I was inside uh -huh. and, and kind of and kind of figure out, you know, how I could, how I could contain that to myself. I ordered uh, estrogen patches, you know, from countries somewhere around the world that I don't even know the name of the countries. Um, and nobody should ever do that. And now nobody ever will have to ever do that again. You felt really alone. You were attempting to do all of that on your own. Yes. Mm. Yes. The only person, um, my, my wife at the time, she's the only person that knew. We didn't really know what it was that was about me, but, but the two of us shared everything um, throughout our entire marriage. So, so we both knew that there was something um, not wrong, but, but definitely not understood. Mm. Yeah. Um, for the last 15 or 16 years now, um, I've been working with special needs children uh, in a public school in, uh, in Roy. And, uh, and the, the Wall Street Journal called me the first openly transgender teacher in public education in Utah. Sean, give us some of your background, and then we'll talk about how the two of you end up being the plaintiffs in this landmark case. Sean Childress Gray. Sure, yeah. I I grew up in Utah. Um, I actually grew up in an LDS and very religious home, and I struggled as a kid to figure out why I didn't fit in with the girls and why I couldn't hang out with the boys. And um, it it took a lot to survive that in itself. And um, I had two coming outs. Uh, I came out as a lesbian right after high school and it felt right. It just, it made sense at the time. And I didn't have the language that I needed that I was missing. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I came out. My family was very supportive in that. And it changed though, after a little while. Um, so I came out and unfortunately, had some things happen to me uh, by some biological family members that really triggered a lot. And uh, so through the help of therapy, realized that the reason why I didn't feel 100% myself is because I wasn't, I wasn't living authentic. And um, it took a while to get to where I am today as far as the comfort of living I'm, I'm a man. I'm, I wasn't ever a woman. I was never a girl. And um, so, I mean, it, it took a long path to get there. And, and, and fortunately, I have some amazing support along the way. Um, it's just the other side of that story isn't. So it's, it's kind of dark. Yeah. And you kind of go down long, deep halls that I never want to go back to and I don't want others to. A um, little bit about me today, uh, I'm married, have two wonderful, I'll air quote wonderful, they're teenagers. <laughs> um, I have two wonderful children who really are supportive 
and uh, a wonderful spouse who has been there 100% pushing me to, to just continue and says, you can't give up, stop, you know, stop telling yourself that it's just over. I'm an educator. I work in higher education and for an online college. I actually teach um, and an associate dean for the School of Graphic Arts at that college. And so a lot of my students know um, my story because they Google search, you know, they Google search me and say, hey, this is so cool. And um, it's it's allowed me to have an open space for our students and to advocate for our students in that, you know, on that side of things. Mm. Um I just, you know, live my day to day and uh, just keep going. That's a little bit about me. We're talking with Sean Childers Gray and Angie Reich, the two plaintiffs at the heart of a landmark case at the Utah Supreme Court last week. A ruling by the court confirmed the right of transgender Utahns to change the name and gender marker on their birth certificates. Candace Metzler, executive director of T of Utah. You were at the press conference as well last week. This is a fight that you've been in the middle of personally and professionally. And just maybe you could share your thoughts here on what this case means. First, I want to I want to just say to Angie and Sean, you know, we could have asked for two more amazing people to really be at the front of this issue. And I'm I'm glad that their voices are centered in this because it's it's a lot of pressure to step in the limelight, to step in the spotlight and suddenly have so much cast your way. So they, they're both amazing people and handled themselves amazingly well through you know, a long process, three and a half years is a long time to wait to get a resolution to something like this. For myself, uh, yeah, interestingly enough, I still have not changed my gender marker. <laughs> so I, I, this will affect me as well. I think it's funny for a lot of people are like, oh, you know, you've dealt with all this stuff. No, you know, it's it's been 15 plus years and I've still been doing a dance between the, you know, the passport process and other processes and and I even live in a state that's really easy, like California, to change your, your your gender marker. But this will affect me and make it a lot easier for me to know that I can go out and not get ran through the ringer trying to figure out, you know, who's going to support me and who's not. I fortunately live in, in Salt Lake where, you know, we, we tended to have, you know, judges that favored, you know, supporting transgender people in their process. But you know, as the executive director of, of T, I was constantly getting calls from people, emails from people uh, who were not having that experience. And yeah. so it's it's nice to be able to get some material out there to have some responses that are really hopeful instead of leaving people in this limbo land where you kind of feel like you're a half citizen. You have a path that really works for other people and you're invited to kind of come along for the ride and see what you can get out of it. Mm. Sue Robbins, who is also on the Transgender Advisory Council for Equality Utah, you you had success in the courts, correct? And were able to get the things changed how you wanted? Uh, it's actually quite interesting in that one of the judges in the second district where these difficulties are centered was my judge in 2014 but I only applied for a name change. I didn't apply for a gender marker change because I'm born in another state and I was gonna use a passport to change my birth certificate. So I was taking a different route that was available to me, but not to people in Utah. And that judge that did my name change, he sat me down at the very beginning and explained to me what a gender marker change was and said he was more than willing to hear me do that 
and allow me to adjust my paperwork and do that. And this judge ended up being one of the ones doing denials later. So I am very interested uh, from the timing perspective because I know the timing of how we started looking at legislation when we noticed, when we saw that this issue was happening. But for Sean and Angie, if they even foresaw the possibility that you would get a denial or if everybody had been getting awarded and you feel like you're at that front wave of the change that happened that didn't exist before because that judge I had was extremely affirming and yet he ended up doing denials later. Angie, Angie Rice, tell us yes. about coming to this case and 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 Sean, you too, about will, being willing to put your name on the case as a plaintiff. What happened? And kind of set the, the timetable for us too, Angie and Sean. Angie. Yeah, for me, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think I saw, you know, foresaw, just like Sue was mentioning, never saw or foresaw this coming. Um, sat there, you know, in the, in the second district courtroom in actually Morgan County um, with the, with the district judge at the time. And, uh, you know, we met before the Supreme Court in January of 2018. Um, and so we're talking about, you know, Christmas time right before um 2017 so that you know in the supreme court it was three and a half years it was a year of preparation um so when we sat in that courtroom in december um and my entire life you know and career and family and profession and everything was praised by the judge and then i could hear the tone in his presentation you know change um and i was feeling pretty good about it you know because because they had a portfolio that, that said basically um angie angie's angie you know, I mean, there's there's no other chance in the world that that she is, but who she says she is. And when that tone changed, I knew what was happening. And and I started to cry. And my wife at the time, I could hear her sobbing behind me. Um, and the only thing that was running through my mind was was this can't be happening. This can't be true. Why me? And, and that's the only thing that really just kept going through my mind as he as he went through this you know, this, I don't want to say gibberish that might offend people, but this gibberish about how he didn't have the, you know, judicial authority to do that. On that day in that courtroom, um, I didn't know my brother, Sean. Um, I, I got to know him um, very soon after, because after, after that court hearing, um, we sat out in the lobby uh, and I, you know, and I, and I spoke with counsel, um, you know, I spoke with uh, Chris, um, an amazing human being, and I and I and I owe him such such a debt of gratitude in my life. Um, sitting there at that table, he he gave us the scenario, and he said, "Do you want to be um, that person? Do you want to be that person?" Um, and I have someone who uh, who I think is going to walk that journey with you if you do. Um, and so it wasn't even so much resolution for myself, although yes, of course it was, um, but it was presented in such a way. The, the potential impact, painful as it might be on the journey, could be tremendously historical for everybody who came after us. Um, and so right on that day of like almost em emotional breakdown um, also became the commitment um, to stand up and be that person with Sean. So Chris was your counsel through that case, trying to use the courts to do what they you felt they should do at that time. And then yes. brought you in with Sean. Great. All right, Sean, tell us about your journey to becoming a co-plaintiff. Well, my journey started actually before that. Um, my case 
was held on August 17th, 2016. So everyone knows that it's been three and a half years since the Supreme Court ruling. Mine was four years, nine months, 20 days. So I, I came to this actually, um, I, ironically enough, that I hadn't met Chris in person yet. And my wife had um, sought some information and, and met with Chris for some family business. And the recommendation was that um, let's have Sean do all of the name change and gender marker change so that while he petitions to adopt, we won't have that other thing um, you know, holding us back because family law in in the LGBTQ community is still a sticky, you know, situation in itself. So that was really how this all started. I mean, I had it on my plans to get all of it legally changed. It was like, when's the right time for us? And financially, when's the right time for us? And so it really was just like, well, now we have to do this now so that we can take care of this. And um, so I had, I, 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 you know, previously changed a name, uh, legal name because of situations that had happened. And I took a, a former name of, well, a name of a former uh, partner of mine. And, and um, so I'd already gone through a name change process. And, you know, I, back then I should have changed, you know, prior to, I kind of appeased my mom and kept my born name and knew I didn't want to carry it. So it was a little, it a little weird situation in that. Um, so I'd already been through the name changes like, oh, this will, this will be easy. I've done this before. I know this process and going through and watching and getting, you know, information from others who had gone through their gender marker changes. You know, what do I need to add to this? And so the paperwork's there, it's available and, and, and it's been used and we, you know, we use, each other and hold each other up through all of the experiences that we have to face. We don't face them alone, and, but sometimes it feels like it. Yeah. Um, and so really, you know, just as a moment, you know, if you're listening and you're, you're like, what do I do? Um, well, you Google search me and then come find me and I will get you into the right community group. And um, so, you know, it, it, it was like, okay, this'll be, this'll be fine. I have my paperwork. Here's the documents that I have available. I'll put all that together and I'll go represent myself because I have that in my constitutional rights to do so. It shouldn't be hard. And well, you know, what's really easy. Anytime Sean Combs wants to change his name, he goes, he's changed it. Like, I don't know how many times I get that this is an, another degree of difficulty and more when you're looking at someone like Sean Combs and marketing and merchandising and pop culture. And then you're looking at you, Sean Childers Gray, and what you want is more than a name change. It's affirmation, confirmation of who you know yourself to be at your Absolutely. core. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's seeking the affirmation. Absolutely. You're right, Laura, on that. It's so, yeah, it, it, that, that day standing in court, he started off like this was, it was fine. The language seemed crystal clear at the moment. And then his tone changed. Just like Angie said, the tone changes and all of a sudden you can't hear exactly what he's trying to tell you. And I know that at one point he said, well, what happens if you get arrested? Who takes care of your hormone replacement therapy? I'm like, 
there's a process and there are people. And if, if I have to pay for my own care while I'm there, I have people. But he's like, well, I'm not judging your character. Okay. But that's exactly well, what you felt, it yeah, sounds like. Yes. Yeah. You know, and I was just like, the last thing you want to do is go in front of a judge and prove and try to prove that like you're macho and you got this and like you're the dude and then you ball. Right. Yeah. I'm a crier. Everyone knows me, knows I'm a crier. You said that in the and press conference, I remember. I, did. <laughs> <laughs> I cry. I have emotions. It hits me harder. Yeah. And 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 I hold those and and I just I bawled. I could not even collect my thoughts at the moment. So my dad and my wife are behind me and I'm just, I turn around and he asks me a question. So I'm going to approve your name change today because you've met the requirements of the name change. But in good conscience, I can't rule on the gender marker change. So would you like me to separate these two? And at that moment, I just, I didn't, you know, I didn't know what to do. I know I needed a name change and I knew I needed a gender marker change so that what I wanted in my life, I could continue doing. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it paused everything. So in a split second, I thought, well, I just need to get rid of the old name. Let's get rid of that. So in my mind was like, yeah, let's just rule on that and move forward. I didn't know what to do at that point. So we, you know, the session ended my dad's like, let's go eat food. <laughs> let's go get some food. Let's, let's figure, let's sit down and let's calm down. Let's get some food. And, uh, you know, sitting in a good friend's diner, just like blast out this long, emotionally drawn out post on social media. Like, I know there's somebody here, so I don't know who you are, but I have a few people. I'm going to tag them in here and then they're going to, hopefully I can scream loud enough to get help. And I did. In that day, I had, um, I had Chris's name. I had a million other people's names. I had, you know, we had, we had a, a thought of how to hit this running, and you know, a senator friend <laughs> jumps in, tags everybody. Troy's in there. Uh, Sue got tagged in there. Uh, you know, so really, it's just about where do you put that information to get going? And from that moment, it, it was kind of, okay, I, I think I can do this. I know there's community behind this, and I think I can do this. And so that's really how it started. Chris got a hold of me. Uh, we talked about putting in the appeal. Within two days, I had the, the appeal to the judge. He approved to review it again. Uh, and so at that, you know, in uh let's see that was november mid-november i believe that we did the appeal and um and then just the start of the weight game and then right before angie's case was held that's he put out his ruling on mine and uh and then chris told me he's like well here's what we got and I knew, I knew the political game in all of this, because there is a political game. So the political game is you put all of your fire into one thing and you light it hard. <laughs> so if you've got both sides of a, of a sphere to create the hole, to show the inequity of the judgment, that's when you have a good case. Excellent timing as 
attorney Chris Wharton zooms into our conversation. Thanks for joining us, Chris. We've been talking with Angie and Sean about their journey to becoming co-plaintiffs. And we were hoping you could just review a bit of that with us here in the time remaining on our show about Angie and Sean being the plaintiffs that you felt were the right plaintiffs to take this case further up the judicial ladder. Absolutely. Well, um, thank you so much for having me. And um, sorry, I'm having to join you a little bit late. But Angie and Sean's case, um, I mean, really is, uh, I mean, they were the perfect plaintiffs for a number of reasons. Um, not just because they're um, just really great people and um, great members of their community, um, exemplary uh, leaders in a lot of ways. Um, so it it was not so much the, of me finding the perfect plaintiffs, but I guess maybe the stars aligned or whatever, but they came to me at a time when um, when they needed help and um you know they kind of selected themselves too because a lot of people when they are doing a case like this and when you decide to take up an appeal you're you're choosing to open yourself up to the public and you're going to have something that's going to be part of um part of utah law um and uh, that means knowing who you are uh, through the facts of the case, um, knowing who you are and putting that out publicly. And a lot of times people aren't willing to be in that role, but Angie and Sean were, and, um, and they just, you know, it, it goes, I think goes to show more of what their leadership style was, that they were willing to put their personal lives out there on the line um, in order to try to make it better for, um, the people that will follow them. So one of the things that Sue and I have always said when we've been on the show together is when it comes to equal rights, all means all. And so I'm curious, what argument did you make as counsel that you feel resonated with the court to get to this landmark ruling confirming the rights of transgender Utahns to change not only their names on their birth certificates, but their gender markers? Well, what uh, what we were asking the court for was nothing radical. Um, we were saying asking the court to um, to apply the law, to apply this workable standard that the vast majority of judges in Utah were already using. That this these judges that were refusing to grant the relief requested were not following the law. That they were uh, they were not following the canons of judicial interpretation and that they were a small minority of judges that were basically holding this process up. And the, the job of the Supreme Court is to make sure that, um, is to resolve and to clarify um, the law and interpret the law so that it is applied uniformly across the state of Utah. And these judges were not applying the law. Um, so what we were asking for was you know, just that the the statute that was sort of at the crux of the case has been in place since the 1970s. It's uh, it's had a couple amendments to it, but nothing substantive. Always, you know, sort of just updating it or making sm small modifications, and that there was really no basis 
for not granting the relief request, no legal basis or factual basis, because Sean and Angie had already lived in their target identities, used their target uh, names and their preferred uh, gender designation, that they were already being recognized by the community and in Angie's case specifically by the state of Utah as, as, um, as Angie and as female. And that all we were asking is for the law to recognize that fact. Um, so I think that that was compelling in addition to the fact that no one was opposing them. No one was opposing Sean or Angie in our cases. It was only the, um, the refusal of these judges to apply existing law and to recognize what was already um, uncontroverted fact. So, Chris, Angie said this in the press conference last week, that this is a domino, much like with marriage equality and what happened in Utah and then across the rest of the country. Do you feel that way about this ruling under the Utah Supreme Court, that this is a domino that will um, be helpful in the fight against these restrictive bills being uh, proposed or passed in 30 other states? I hope that this just adds to the the body of law that we have in Utah in statute and in case law that recognizes transgender Utahns, intersex Utahns, and uh, and non-binary Utahns um, as people that exist and are part of our community, and that they're um, people that are deserving of the same recognition and dignity and. Uh, respect and self-determination as anybody else in the community. It's really not, um, it's not that complicated. Um, <laughs> You're right. It's not. So, complicated. Uh, so I really hope that, that this adds to that and that this helps us move forward in, uh, in whatever way is, is most productive. Um, and I know that that will be the case for, you know, countless other clients that we have that have been waiting for this ruling to come out and, uh, and all of the clients that, that will benefit from this ruling in the future. And so I hope that that, I hope that that does add to, you know, bringing us forward, um, as a state. Candace Metzler of Transgender Education Advocates T of Utah. What are your hopes for the, um, the positive fallout from this ruling? I think the biggest thing that I'm hoping for positive fallout is that people will start to feel more a part of our community, that there's a greater sense of belonging, a greater sense that there is hope, that I can be part of a community that actually supports my needs, that actually sees me, and that gives me the things that I need to function in society. And so, you know, this isn't rocket science. Most people can imagine that we set up these systems of needing IDs, of needing things, and we actually should have systems that reflect the people that use those systems instead of creating systems that are specifically designed to exclude and impede people's ability to function in our society. And this comes down to not only a mental health issue, which I'm speaking to, I think this goes a long ways in sending that message that you have a community that will, will support you. And we have a lot of work to go, right? I think there's still a lot of barriers to remove in that in that process. And education, I think, is centered in that process. But in terms of being able to have a sense of safety when I go out and I have to use my ID, in terms of having a sense of 
of knowing that there are systems in place that will allow me to function without adding more stress to an already full plate of stress for a lot of people, I think this will go a long ways. Well, Angie Rice and Sean Childress-Gray, congratulations. I do want to give you the opportunity for some final comments. Angie, why don't you go first? And how you feel. Yeah. It's been a week in the process. It's, <laughs> there has to be so many functions. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think I think when I when I first got the phone call that it would come out tomorrow, that was a Wednesday around dinner time. I, you know, mentally I tried to prepare myself and I said, okay, Angie, you you will be emotionally prepared for either outcome. Um, and I fooled myself thinking all the way through the night because I didn't sleep. Um, I fooled myself all the way to the night to the next morning. Um, when counsel called me in the morning and said, um, you won. Um, and that was um, that was when, um, sadly, I shared a couple of explicatives um, um, <laughs> that weren't intended, you know, to go to Chris, but they just fell out of my mouth. And after that, I was speechless. I was emotionally speechless. Um, during that quick part of the journey, you know, it, it went from helping everyone to being very personal and feeling left out and put out and put down. And it went back and forth between helping a lot of people and helping myself, a lot of people and helping myself, right? But when that realization came that it was over and that we won, then the realization did hit me that um, this was for everyone and for the young people and and the old people and everybody in between. And people will see um, because the marginalization against our community, the table's been flipped because if someone goes through and has the courage to change that marker, then that is who they, who they are and who they say they are. And no matter how you might want to you know, fight against that, the end of the argument is, no, it's right here. I'll listen to you, but no, it's right here. No, it's right here. And that'll apply to safety situations, to doctors, to medical insurance, to traffic stops, to bookings. Um, you can't, you can't book a legal female with an F um, into a man's prison. It's going to affect all of those things, and history's going to show that out. Thank you, Angie, and congratulations. Sean, how about you? Thank you. Uh, I don't know if it's actually really hit me yet. <laughs> now I've got, I'm a list maker, and I have a million things to finish now. <laughs> so the process isn't over for us. Uh, the initial process was to have an ID in my hand that has the M instead of an F. It's the most expensive letter I'll ever buy. So, um, but uh, I mean, ecstatic, excited, relieved, you know, like relief. That's the biggest thing. I slept so well Thursday night for the first time in four years. And uh, I mean, but there's still a lot of work you know, a lot of work ahead. But now with this ruling and literally the path laid out inside of a 128 page document, now that those who are ready to take the next step for themselves, we have that path. And so for me, I'm just like, okay, what's the next thing, Sean, that you can do out of this to help others? And really it's just working with T of Utah and Equality of Utah or Equality Utah and others um, so that we have like, okay, step one, do this, step two. And it's really laid out because it's important to get it, you know, get it right so that they don't have the holdups. And so that's the next project out of it. What do you do with it? The next project is on the plate now. So now while we wait for 
uh, the next step in the paperwork and the process that, you know, we looked at Chris on Thursday. Okay, what's next? That's what I asked him. What do we do now? Um, I don't know, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> so, you know, so now we're, again, it's, we've never met this. So it's the first processes. And I've had a lot of people come out and, and ask over the weekend, okay, what do I do? What do I do? What give us just a little bit more time and uh, just a little bit of patience and we'll have that ready for you. And we'll have the right way to get it out to you the right way. Um, I mean, I have a, a long laundry list of things that I'm still have been fighting for. I mean, since since the beginning, my name change, credit card companies are still fighting me saying, it, it, this isn't the right paperwork. I'm like, this is exactly what you asked for. So I'm still fighting some of those things since, you know, the, the legal parts of that can, can and should have changed. So again, like I said, in the conference and in, 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 you know, the quote, we have, we've got these mountains that we're, you know, that we're breaking down and uh, just we'll walk together and we'll just do it together. They're molehills now. Absolutely. This one, this molehill is so teeny. <laughs> Thank you so much, everyone, for giving us your time. And Sue, that's our show. And in honor of all of this and all of you, Will you take us out like you usually would? I'd be glad to, a little bit of memories. <laughs> that brings us to another edition and a very special edition of Everyday People. The four people in front of me are four of the most amazing people fighting in the transgender community, either as part of it or for us. I appreciate your time and I appreciate you so much. And thank you everyone for listening. As we bring you the diverse voices of Utah, remember that education brings knowledge, knowledge brings understanding, and greater understanding brings social change. Radioactive is a production of Listeners Community Radio of Utah. Executive producer is Laura Jones. I'm community co-host Sue Robbins. Until the next Everyday People edition of Radioactive, we see you, we hear you, and we love everyday people just like you.